Last weekend, Dave and I were at Nahitsui and Evan's wedding. Nahitsui is a part of this fellowship. Uh, she married a very good man who's from Boston and is a part of another fellowship. But we were honored to be invited and for Dave to officiate the wedding on Saturday. But on Friday, there was a traditional Nigerian event called the knocking at the door ceremony. And we were out of our element, weren't we, Dave? <laughs> I was worried about what to wear straight away. I was texting Hannah Bansell, like, I know you grew up in East Africa, but could you please tell me if this is okay to wear to a West African event? By the way, I got it wrong. I did not wear the right thing. Uh, we got the time very wrong. We were there hours before we needed to be, kind of awkwardly twiddling our thumbs. Nahitsui had warned me that it was likely that I would not have tasted anything on the menu ever before in my life. She was right. And then she said, well, we're having rice. You've had rice before. But I'd never had this kind of rice. I can tell you that. I felt so out of it and kind of lost. And five hours in, I was still waiting for someone to literally knock on a door, which is not a part of the event. It is a symbolic, uh, the, the husband's family coming to the wife's family and asking for her hand. There was all kinds of different gift giving, very specific dances for certain people throughout the whole evening, wild and gorgeous outfits that mine did not fit in amongst. There were negotiations between the families on a microphone, back and forth. It was all beautiful, but so foreign to me. We were the visible minority at this event, and we felt very much on the outside. In fact, the event happened under a tent, and not for reasons of inhospitality at all, but just because there were so many people, we were sitting a little bit outside the tent, which is very much how it felt. In fact, Delvin was there with us, and so funny, he told us that evening he was very excited to be a part of his first American wedding. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we were very welcome at this event, but it was uncomfortable. And that was good for us. These kinds of situations are good for us, especially if we are part of the majority race and we live comfortable, middle, upper-class lives. Feeling like the outsider can be so good. It's humbling. It gives us a posture of learning, being a student of what's happening. It builds empathy, as Kelly put it so well last week in his sermon. Let me be clear, I'm not saying every time we find ourselves on the margins or feeling not at home, that somehow that's, that's good for us. No, that can happen as a result of injustice, of racism, of demonic powers, if I can be frank. People like refugees, displaced people, people who are not at home against their will, forced upon them, I am not saying that's good for their character. Please don't hear that. Rather, when we intentionally put ourselves in a different role or are welcomed into a space 
where we're in a different role, the role of guest, it can be a wonderful shaping experience. This discomfort, I felt this nearly all the time that Dave and I lived abroad. We lived in Switzerland, okay? We were not the visible minority. We look kind of Swiss, we have very Swiss names. And when we moved there, I, I thought I was quite an able person. <laughs> you know, I had two children, I was homeschooling them, I thought I was doing a pretty good job. Uh, I was joining a ministry where I felt equipped, I felt gifted in it. I started grad school shortly after that. I was pumped to become fluent in French. I thought I was quite able. And then in the first few days, I had to fill out a form and I had to put in some numbers. And a friend next to me saw me write a one with just like a simple downstroke. And he said, no, 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 we don't write ones like that here. It's more like, you know, to me, it looked like a cursive L. And I just thought, I don't know how to write a one. <laughs> it does not get any more basic than that, and I don't know how to do it. So I felt like a child in a lot of ways. Things felt upside down a lot for me in all the years we lived there. It was very uncomfortable. And many of you have had similar experiences. No doubt memories are bubbling to the surface, whether you were traveling or Maybe you've lived abroad or studied abroad, and maybe you are even here from somewhere else. And for those of you who gather with us, for whom the US is not your country of origin, or English is not your native tongue, I just want to extend grace to you this morning and say you carry a significant burden the awkwardnesses, the confusions, and maybe even a feeling of smallness at times, like I felt in Switzerland. And I pray that this fellowship can be a place where you find friends to help carry that burden, to help lighten the load. I pray that we welcome you well. In our gospel reading, we heard about a man named Zacchaeus, probably a familiar name to you. This is a man on the margins, literally. There is a crowd and he's not allowed in. He's on the outer edges. We're told he's short, he's physically limited. He's physically different than the people around him. He's hated, he's a tax collector. I would wager that if you are here with us this morning and you know nothing about the Bible at all, you know it's bad to be a tax collector in biblical times. He's obviously in a crowd that did not welcome him. But thanks be to God, he is not left on the fringes. He is brought in by Jesus. He's included and welcomed and celebrated even. And Jesus does that by a surprising flipping of roles that we see in this story, where the one who's coming to Jesus, Zacchaeus, one among many, who's maybe pressing in to see, wants to sit at the feet of Jesus, wants to be Jesus's guest in a way, 
he becomes the host of Jesus himself. You see how that flips? We heard something similar in our Old Testament reading in the book of Ruth. Why would I preach a sermon without mentioning Ruth, y'all? It's what I do. Ruth is a woman on the bottom rung of any ladder you can imagine. Okay, she is a woman in ancient times. She hasn't been able to conceive for 10 years. Okay, infertility is a horrible burden in our own day. But all the more so in ancient times when a woman had no opportunity for other meaningful work. This was her meaningful work, to have children and to raise them. And it's seen as a sort of curse in those times. Her husband died, also seen as something of a curse in those times. She's a widow, she's infertile, she's terribly poor, she's in a country not her own, she's a refugee, and she's not just from some other place, she is from one of the most hated other nations to the Jewish people. She's from Moab. If you go and read Ruth, it's almost comical, if it weren't horrible, how much the narrator says, Ruth, the Moabitess, you know, Ruth from Moab, the one from Moab who came, the Moabitess, Ruth, the Moabitess. It's said over and over and over again. She is a refugee, and she's gleaning. She's picking up scraps after the harvesters, the poorest of the poor, very vulnerable woman. And then she's welcomed to the table of Boaz, He shares with her a meal. He dignifies her enormously and then empowers her to even be a host to Naomi. She goes home with what she's gleaned and leftovers from lunch and she serves her mother-in-law. She becomes the host. And isn't this just the way it is? So often the most vulnerable, the most left out are the best hosts are the most generous. Have you ever seen that? It is clear in Christian history. I've experienced it in my own life, spending a little bit of time in East Africa in one of the most appalling slums in the world. I've spent time in Kibera, and I have been in the home of a woman who had previously sold a child to pay a debt. That is how destitute she was, and yet, gave me a cup of tea. (laughs) We have so much to learn from these sisters and brothers. They'll be rewarded for such generosity. Don't doubt that. But this surprising flipping of expected roles, these upside-down happenings, these are so like our God. This is his way. This is what the kingdom is like. It's like a tiny seed that grows into a shade-giving tree. It's like airborne yeast invisible to the naked eye, worked into flour and water and becoming a beautiful, swelling mound of nourishing bread. The kingdom is like little inconsequential wildflowers along the highway, 
having more to offer us than all the wealth of Jeff Bezos. It's like some kids packed lunch being more than enough to feed Fenway Park full of people. It's all flipped, it's unexpected, it's upside down. Did you hear our psalm? This is what the kingdom is like. It's like those who go out weeping, not coming back, having washed their faces and feeling a little bit better, but those who go out weeping, returning with shouts of joy, singing joy to the world. This is what the kingdom is like. It's Jesus seeking out the small one, the ostracized one, the one that the community had decided was too far gone in sin, the one weird enough to hike up his robes and climb a tree. Jesus seeking out that guy. That's what the king of this kingdom is like. Dave and I were at the Boston Marathon last Monday. And in even the more crowded sections, as we were making our way along, I never once considered handing my backpack to Dave and climbing a tree to get a better view. <laughs> Would you have done that? Did you do that? And I'm not talking about because of COVID fears or anything, but climbing a tree to get a better view. That is not what is done. That's not respectable. What Zacchaeus does is an extravagant action to get his eyes on Jesus. And Jesus singles him out, walks right up to him, or at least to the tree where he's, <laughs> that he's in, and says, essentially, it's you. You're the one whose house I want to visit today. I'd like to be your guest. What? The weird guy in the tree? Do you know this is all happening in Jericho? Walls are still tumbling down in Jericho at this time. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Jesus is tearing walls down. The crowd refuses to make room for Zacchaeus, but Jesus, but Jesus. And Zacchaeus, God bless him, rises to the occasion by ironically coming down from the tree. And do you know what Luke says next? Zacchaeus gladly welcomed him. Y'all, if that isn't the gospel right there in one sentence, this little man hears the voice of Jesus, obeys, and he gladly welcomed him. Have you gladly welcomed him yet? That's how the NIV puts it. I love the ESV too. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus is the host now, and Jesus is his guest. And things keep flipping. Get this. The man who was a cheat, who was a fraud, who had an uncompassionate accumulation of wealth, who was a traitor to the Jews, by his association with Rome, right? The oppressor, he was collecting taxes for the oppressor. And he was not just some old tax collector, it says he was the chief. He, that very same one, shares. 
He gives away. He makes himself poor. It says he gave away half to the poor. Just imagine your salary in your mind right now. Cut it in half. Tell me what that would do to your restaurant budget, your housing, your vacation plans, your health insurance. He became poor. He makes restitution. He acts justly. He makes things right. Just hold on to all of that that this guy did. He's the one who welcomes Jesus, the one who also and more so shares and gives away and makes himself poor and acts justly and makes things right. Do you see how in saying yes to Jesus, he becomes more like Jesus? Or we might say in beholding Jesus, he becomes like Jesus. Salvation has come to this house that's what Jesus says. Will you imagine with me what the people of Jericho in that day, the people who hated Zacchaeus, who marginalized him, who muttered about what a sinner he was, what would they think of his name on our lips this morning, thousands of years later? That the name Zacchaeus would be so famous to people all over the world that this wee little man would be sung about for generations that's hilarious. That's unexpected. That's upside down. And that is what the kingdom is like. The very same kingdom where a backwater Nazarene with suspicious origins turns out to be God, incarnate, the savior of the world. The kingdom where the very one who was and is the word of God that spoke all of creation into existence, the divine and ultimate host of all that is, seen and unseen, he doesn't grasp that rightful position as host, but squeezes himself into a physical human frame to become a guest. Zacchaeus' guest our guest here at this table, in this gathering, in your life, in my life, in our very core, in our centers, we are meant to gladly welcome him into our hearts. Have you noticed in all these stories, it goes both ways. Guests become hosts, hosts become guests. Following Jesus' lead, I believe we're invited into both of these flip-flops. You find yourself primarily in host-like roles. Follow Jesus and pursue being a guest, receiving, being vulnerable. Do you find yourself primarily receiving from and being quite needy from a lot of different people? Where can you step up and lead and welcome others? The kingdom needs both. And obedience clarifies which at which time. But I believe there's something even more specific for us here in 2021 in Boston, in the US of A. If we so obsess over our own safety, our own health, 
being understood and affirmed, making sure we never feel misinterpreted or unwel unwelcome, if we demand that every space be a space where everyone gets me, if we pursue safe spaces in an idolatrous way, and please hear me, I am not talking about appropriate, reasonable, and healing spaces. I'm talking about something I see in society, an idolatrous pursuit of safety. You know, if I don't feel exactly this way in this space, I'm gone. If that's where we land, we will never be courageous enough to hike up our respectable robes and climb a tree for Jesus. This upside-down kingdom of his will be too dangerous for us. And we just might miss Jesus walking by. Jesus at our door. Maybe even angels at our tables. In the Zacchaeus story, the very first verse of Luke 19 says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Jesus looks like he's just moving right on through Jericho. You don't anticipate a story to follow. Have you ever noticed that there are a few of these instances in the Gospels? Just consider Bartimaeus, this blind man along the road, crying out to Jesus as he's walking by. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David. He's still walking. Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, have mercy on me. He's still walking. Jesus, until... He turns. Consider Jesus walking on the water. This has puzzled me for years. It actually says he was about to pass them by. <laughs> These guys are freaking out. The waves, the wind is ripping and roaring. They see someone walking on the water, and he's just going to pass them by. Jesus seems to be about to pass right on through Jericho. I think this is a sure and poignant warning from the life of Jesus, from the pen of Luke. Here it is. We can miss an encounter with the Lord. He might pass by. You better call out to him. Do whatever it takes, however extravagant it might seem to everybody else, to get your eyes on Jesus. Unless he finds the faith of people ready to heed his voice, ready to obey, ready to come down off our high horses or high branches, as it were, ready to gladly welcome him, then he might pass by. You know what it says about his hometown. He couldn't do many miracles there because there was no faith. So he went on to other villages. Do you want him to pass by? Are you willing to climb a tree for Jesus? Are you amazed by, and do you want to be a part of this upside-down kingdom? Do you know it will not always be safe? Friends, like Zacchaeus, gladly welcome him.
I know we're still getting to know each other. You, are, you all are getting to know us, the Friedrichs. We are getting to know all of you. Here's a big clue into Anna. I love Christmas. <laughs> Unashamedly. So I'm going to end with a favorite line from a Christmas hymn. Zacchaeus could have written it. Please hear it. Let every heart prepare him room. The host of all creation has come to be your guest. Let your heart prepare him room. Be extravagant in your pursuit of him, whatever it takes to get your eyes on him. Let every heart prepare him room. And as we as a church welcome others, as Christ has welcomed us, Jesus clearly says we are actually welcoming him in that. Let every heart prepare him room. Amen.